0: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who come back again and again and again from around the world and have been listening to the podcast at Inside Personal Growth now, as I was telling Keith, for well over eight years. Uh, good day to you, Keith. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing terrific. Thanks for inviting me on to your uh, podcast.
0: Uh, we we really appreciate having you on. And Keith Rolig has written a book called What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations. And I have to admit, of all the years I've been doing this, this is a very unique book. Um, It's not something that I think probably people think about all the time, but I'm going to let my listeners know just a little bit about you, Keith. Uh, He's a professor at Babson College, which is a small private school just outside of Boston that specializes in entrepreneur leadership. Uh, Besides teaching leadership skills to students and executives, he's also the chair of the management division division, and manages about 40 other faculty members. The whole way Keith got involved with this is he moved to Japan uh, on an international management project for Procter & Gamble, and obviously going to Japan, he was new, so he's experiencing all the excitement of being a newcomer, but also the awkwardness of it as well. He returned then to the United States and went to graduate school at Stanford and began studying uh, the newcomer experience. And over the past 20 years, he's interviewed lots of newcomers newcomers and asked some to keep diaries of their experience and uh, conducted surveys in several organizations. Um, Besides this book, he's also published several other articles on newcomer onboarding, employee orientation in journals, MIT Sloan Management Review, and the Journal of Organizational Behavior. He's been on many, many talk shows and published in many uh, areas as Public Radio, Fast Company Magazine, Fortune, Forbes, Success Magazine, Psychology Today, uh, Harvard Management, and so on. And he lives in the Boston area with his wife, Kathy, and his children, Annie and David. We basically uh, are speaking to anybody out there because, Keith, as you said, everybody's a newcomer at some time. You mentioned that the secrets to newcomer success – Is really no secret at all. It mostly comes down to our willingness and ability to do five things. What are those things, and why are they so important? Sure. Um,
1: What I found in in interviewing folks and trying to get at what it is that causes people to be reluctant to put themselves out there in the new situations, and when I've had people keep diaries and write down at the end of the day what was it, you know, their ups and downs, what I found was there was sort of five fundamental things we do when we're new, that tend to be both the secret to success and also the cause of much of our anxiety and reluctance. And that is, number one, our willingness and confidence in being able to go up to a stranger and introduce ourselves, our ability to remember their name the next time we see them, our willingness to go up to people we don't know or have just met and ask questions or ask for something, our ability to, after that first introduction, um, be able to to do the things one needs to establish that relationship, whether it's a work relationship or a new neighbor next door. And then finally, how do we overcome our reluctance to be the beginner and do new things that we haven't done very well or haven't done very often in front of people we don't know? To the extent that we can get confident in those five basic skills, i found that even introverts and shy people can, can work their way into being more confident and comfortable in new situations.
0: Now, in your research, do you find there's different types, obviously, the psychologist, I'm one myself, we find there's different types of personality. So there seems to be these extrovert, introvert uh, kind of people. Um, You know, do you find the same holds true for people who are extrovert versus introvertives?
1: Well, I think it's easier for extroverts in the sense that because they get their energy often from interacting with other people, there's maybe perhaps a little bit more of a, a A benefit there, just in terms of that, and and through I think just through repetition, because they probably have spent more time interacting with others, it's just a little bit easier. But I've interviewed um, self-proclaimed introverts who, while they don't want to spend all day interacting with other people, have become more confident, and it's usually because they've they've been in some kind of an experience. They've either went on a study abroad overseas, or like myself, were transferred overseas for some reason, or they moved a lot as a kid, or they took a sales job, which required them to interact with all kinds of strangers. They did something that sort of convinced, helped them recalibrate their brain and convinced them that you know, the social risk of, of putting themselves into that situation, introducing themselves or asking questions is often far less than our somewhat primitive brains will cause us to believe
0: hmm Now you mentioned there's a bit of anxiousness by everybody. And I would even it's true, but you know, I've always kind of been more of an extrovert, sales marketing type. You wouldn't be doing a podcast program like this if you weren't, um, because I have to meet new people all the time. And I actually interestingly, I meet them over the phone, just like you you and I are meeting today. Um, and you say there's a bit of anxiousness is okay, but that too much can affect our performance. What are some of the things that you can tell our listeners today? to control this anxiousness that a newcomer might have.
1: Sure. Well, I think the first thing to realize is is, um, we're hardwired to be anxious in new situations. For much of human history, uh, meeting strangers was a rare thing. We lived in small groups, spaced pretty far apart. And when you saw a stranger, it usually meant that either you were encroaching on their territory or they were encroaching on yours. And there was a real survival advantage to being cautious in those situations until you figured out whether that person's going to be a friend or foe. So we're born with it. I mean, babies are, within two months, are uh, can tell the difference between familiar and unfamiliar people. And within six months or so, they can become visibly upset around strangers. And we carry that forward. We also are taught from a young age, not to talk to strangers. You know, we're sort of drilled into that, into our heads for the first 18 years of our life by parents and teachers. And while that's good advice, often kids will internalize that as all strangers are bad, which just reinforces that um, feeling. You know, the funny thing is is that we often, after 18 years, their parents, you know, say get out there, get a job, and, and uh, find a new place to live, and basically are asking us to go Interact with the very adult strangers. We've been told not to talk to for the first 18 years So I think the first step to overcoming that anxiety is to understand that it's Completely and perfectly normal that you're not the um, you know Have a character defect or a personality defect if you find yourself reluctant to do it Um, But again as I said through your practicing these basic fundamental skills You're gonna be more willing to put yourself out there
0: Mm -hmm. now we're, we're obviously all put into different positions. A lot of us go to networking groups. We, you know, we meet at church groups. We go to sports and recreational events. takes our kids to soccer, as you say in the book. And according to the Pew studies, at 35% of our time, um, we're in these kind of groups. How can people who are my listeners are out there be better prepared to be more for successful at newcomers in these situations. I know at times it can be awkward. You've got to meet brand new people. Um, you've got to either introduce yourself or they've got to introduce themselves. Um, what do you tell people about those situations and how to better handle themselves?
1: Well, in terms of introductions, you know, it it's kind of interesting. Uh, we obviously have to be introduce ourselves or be introduced and oftentimes in our reluctance we'll wait for the other person to you know for them to introduce and if they don't feel the need or whatever then nothing ever happens for, when i've interviewed viewed people about introductions and the reluctance um, they've typically given me several reasons for some people um, they just don't want to bother. You know, they don't want to interrupt whatever that other person is doing. They feel like it's an intrusion. For others, they believe that the first impressions are the most important, and what they say in those first few seconds is going to define the relationship. And they put so much pressure on themselves, they don't want to even attempt it. For others, it's that conversation. They just they're they're reluctant. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to ask. They don't know how to, you know, deal with that awkward pause in the conversation that comes seven minutes into it. And then for others, it's just we have that inherited. Um, instinctive feel not to be rejected. And they're worried about being rejected, even though the the real risk of being rejected is so small. So part of it is helping to understand that. And I think the other part is we project all of those anxieties and we make a lot of assumptions about the other person. Uh-huh. We usually talk ourselves out of introducing ourselves. But when I ask people, I said, all right, what, what if the situation was different? You're there and somebody's approaching you. How do you feel about that? And often they say, oh, that's totally different. I'd be happy to you know, somebody to come up to me, and I enjoy meeting new people. So I, I often will tell folks, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you're reluctant to go to introduce yourself to a particular person, put yourself in their shoes. Ask yourself if you would be okay having somebody come up and introduce yourselves. And if you would, and you're normal, assume the other person's normal, too, and just go for it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a, as you're talking about this this, this, this event rose up inside of me. Um, it, was, it was very strange, but it's, it's very, I, I think, very relevant to our conversation. I, I happened to work for a gentleman uh, whose daughter is Annette Benning, married to Warren Beatty. And there was a party. And Warren Beatty was sitting there, and no one was talking to him. And I said to my wife, I'm going to go over and say hi, because everyone was afraid to speak to Mr. Beatty, because he's this big actor. So I walk over. She actually bet me. My wife bet me that I wouldn't do it, and I said I will. And we had a nice conversation. I went back. Nobody during the course of the evening. The whole room was filled with people. Ninety-nine percent of them were afraid to actually talk to him. Yeah, Amazing.
1: I, no, and, I, and you know, and, and and again, it's that projection. We we yeah. make some assumption that because this person is so famous, right. that somehow they're not human and they actually want interaction, you know, or they've been bothered so many times by other people that I don't want to be just one more when right when it usually isn't the case and that's not just the famous people it's the the new hire in terms of interacting with the boss or the CEO or it's uh you join a new church and you've got the minister there and oh boy I can't you know they uh, and it's interesting to see how we project all of that and yet right we you know, for, when you actually go talk to CEOs and people who are authority figures or famous, you find that, you know, they're just normal like we are. And uh, to the extent you can think of it that way, maybe it'd make it a little bit easier. But yeah, you know, I felt kind of bad for Warren Beatty there because he probably he had a miserable time sitting there with nobody talking to
0: him. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, is that I, I love a quote from my psychology class and it, you don't have to believe everything you think. And I think what happens is, you, we overthink those situations. We, like you say, are projecting. And that brings me to the next uh, question here. Um, you mentioned that that the, uh, this inhibition really affects our performance as well as our creativity. Um, and that was an interesting statement. So can, can you say how, in particular, we're being affected by that? Because especially somebody new on the job, the reason you're being hired is for performance and your creativity, especially in today's world. Um, so what can somebody new who's being hired do um, so that they're not so affected?
1: Right. Well, again, I think we also are hardwired to go into situations so focused on performance. We, we're often socialized that in in school. I mean, you know, it's all about the test and, and getting better grades than other people. and And so we get into that sort of performance mindset where, what really matters when we walk in that door is we've got to be hitting the ground running and being productive from day one, when in reality, much of our real productivity over time is the relationships we build. And so and it's, it's what we learn about the situation. So I think to the extent that we can refocus and reframe um, new jobs or new organizations as interesting learning opportunities and make our goal to learn as much as we possibly can as fast as possible – than to worry about performing and not making any mistakes um, from the moment we walk in the door, um, we're going to be ultimately more successful. Because from the other side, people expect new people to make a mistake or two. You don't want them to be big, but you expect them not to know everything. You expect them to ask questions. Those are normal things, and yet, as you said, we often assume every little action that we do when we're new is sort of a litmus test of how good we really are when it's really Mm -hmm. just another opportunity to learn.
0: Yeah, wonderful statement. Now, CBT has been around for a long time, cognitive behavioral therapy, and and um, it's been quite effective in treating a lot of different things. And you speak about it in the book. Um, how does CBT help people overcome these fears and inhibitions?
1: Well, I think to the extent that, uh, again, it's often trying to reconvince your brain that things are not as risky as you might believe. And some of that you can sort of you know, and I do through the book to help you understand the situation and be more aware. I think the other part is just, um, it's it's pushing you to do, try little experiments, you know, try little things, be more mindful about um, what actually happens as you go into situations and try to remind yourself that most of them go far better than you tend to believe going in. And it's it's through that reflection and through... Pushing yourself on little things that it's going to be make you more confident and then more able to push yourself into the bigger stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you have these uh, four mindsets that you talk about. You've outlined the I should, four different mindsets that we would consider. Can you explain those mindsets to our listeners and and how they might want to make that shift, um, you know, cognitively to those mindsets? One of them sure. was becoming a beginner, and I remember them. So <laughs> go ahead.
1: Well, I think, you know, a lot of times you can approach situations a number of different ways and the mindset you bring to it. So, for instance, if you if you kind of enter into a new situation as a, as a scientist, for instance, if you sort of pretend you're a scientist, you're going to take a much more, maybe a little less emotional view of how things are playing. You may notice things that are more. If you bring it in sort of as a gamer mentality and you sort of see this as a grand social video game where, you know, there's always the chance to play the game again, um, that, uh that can be helpful. It can help for you to see it maybe as a coach and sort of realize that you're, it's a social performance and every time you go into it, focus on just getting better at it. But I think to the extent that you can bring some of this, some you know, a journalist mindset can be helpful. If you go into new situations and groups of strangers, thinking of yourself as somebody who's my goal is to go out and learn as much about the people that I see here. You don't want to you know pretend that you're just, just an interviewer, but that sometimes can help you deflect your focus away from the anxieties you're feeling and more toward getting, you know, understanding and learning and getting better and more confident at those
0: situations. Yeah. And one of those, was you said, come at it with a beginner's mind. And I think we've all heard that before. And the biggest question is get into that state, right?
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, again, there's so much in from a hardwired standpoint in terms of performance that causes to want to be, um, the expert, you know, and, and when you join a new job, you've been selling yourself through the interview process, and how great you are. Um, and there's that natural desire then to prove it on day one. Um, yeah. And as a result, we, we don't take the beginner, we we end up, you know, almost trying to be the expert, and then feeling like a fraud, because we aren't, um, uh-huh. I think, right. So I think it's, it's accepting the fact that when you're new, you have that wonderful opportunity to be the beginner. So why not take it and, and, and use it for what it's worth? Because when you're new, you have all kinds of almost carte blanche to introduce yourself, to ask questions. Um, you can always say, hey, I'm new here. And that usually triggers a helping response in other people. I mean, there's just there's a lot of good things that come with being new and might as well take advantage of them.
0: Well, and, and just in that light, you, you have a whole chapter on introducing yourself. Can you discuss the seven steps to our listeners um, for introduction?
1: Yeah, I mean I I don't have to uh, maybe not go into all of them but I think besides the fact that putting yourself in the other person's shoes and trying to understand to what extent you're 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 um, not thinking about what how they may see the introduction to the extent that you can um rehearse your opening lines. You know a lot of people's reluctance comes from just not knowing what to say, but you can, at home, you know, you can in front of the mirror practice some opening lines. You can try different things. You can think of some questions that you might ask typical kinds of people. More importantly, you can practice what you say about yourself and sort of through experimentation discover what are the things that that seem to be interesting to other people and what are the things that either make their eyes glaze over or you realize you can't explain in under 15 minutes and by then you've bored them to half to death.
0: Mm -hmm. To
1: the extent that we can practice some of that stuff, um, just like me doing this podcast, which is a relatively new activity for me, you know, over the years, it took a while for me just to learn how to decide what to say in certain moments, how to respond to questions. And if we can practice that, we can practice those opening lines and conversational pieces. We're just going to be able to walk into situations with a lot more confidence. Then, if we're always sitting back there struggling to figure out, oh, what can I possibly say? If you've got, a, if you've built that toolkit, it's a whole lot easier.
0: Oh, most definitely. I think it's like uh, practicing for being a, a part in a play. You know, you're trying to do your best and and have the the best performance, but without anxiety. Again, we're a key. You know, let's not be inhibited here. Let's not have the anxiety. Now, you have a whole chapter on remembering names. I thought that was interesting. Um, I'm one of those people. Of course, I am 61 years old, so maybe it's a little cognitive. But the reality is, is remembering names for me can be tough. Uh, what are some of the secrets, the associations you make in remembering names?
1: Sure. And 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 the reality is, is that regardless of age, I mean, I teach a lot, teach a lot of college students who're 18, 19 years old. They don't feel like they can remember names either. So I think it's a common affliction. In fact, very few people I've ever met are feel like they're really, really good at it. The reasons why we aren't good at remembering names is because our brains actually process proper names like John and Mary very differently than we process and store information like their face and uh, and people's interests and hobbies and other stuff. And so that neural connection initially is pretty weak, and that's why we blank on names. I think the key to thinking about remembering names, association is a key part of it, but most importantly, as you enter into a new situation, Make a commitment to listen to their name because, you know, researchers have found over half the time when we blank on somebody's name, we just didn't really get it into our brains in the first place. So, to the extent that you can make that commitment, repeat their name as soon as they said it because that helps get it into your short-term memory and 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 also force you to pay attention. And if you got it wrong, you can get it reclarified. Test yourself as in, in that conversation. As you're talking with them, sort of step back mentally and go, what's their name again? And if you've forgotten it, by the end of the conversation, reintroduce yourself, ask for their name again. Um, They often um, appreciate it because if you've forgotten their name, they've forgotten yours. And then finally, most importantly, when you finish the introduction, as soon as you possibly can, write the name down because once you have it down on paper, our ability to recognize the right name is infinitely better than our ability to pull it out. And oftentimes in future situations where you see somebody coming and you're blanking on their name, if you've got that list with you, whether it's in a little notebook or in your smartphone, you can kind of sneak away and look up the name and instantly recognize and, and uh, be able to save a little bit of an embarrassment. Uh, but I think you know, all of those kinds of things, if you can build that into your routine, it's not going to stop you from blanking, but you'll probably do it less often
0: that's a great advice, as a matter of fact, I am going to take some of your suggestions myself, so um how do you help people get better at asking questions and overcoming their reluctance to ask those questions?
1: yeah well there you know the researchers Frank Flynn and Vanessa Bonds did a really interesting study to find a number of different situations. We grossly overestimate the probability that somebody will say no to our requests. you know it 's just we spend so much of our time thinking of all the reasons why they don't want to answer, we don 't think of all the reasons that they would. You know, the reality is that most of us want to be helpful people. Most of us uh, often don't get enough recognition, don't get enough um um feelings that I'm you're valuable, that you're wanted, that people care about you. And and often questions are, is a is a wonderful way by answering questions people get that. They get to walk away from a situation, you know, giving directions to a stranger on the street, you walk away saying, "Well, you know, I'm that kind of person that helps people. It makes me feel good." I think to the extent that you realize that pe- most people are okay to asking questions, to the extent that you can really think about what question you want to ask, because the, the clearer you can be about what you're trying to ask and how much you're trying to ask of the other person, the easier it will be to ask of it. Um, and then finally, like I said, don't don't ask five questions at once. Um, you know, piece piece it about. And sometimes when you approach somebody, rather than say, do you know, um, sometimes asking, "Do you know someone who knows?" can be a little less intrusive uh, into that approach, and it often may open up other possibilities for you to get the information you need.
0: It's an interesting statement because that's uh... you there, Keith? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, it's an interesting statement because I know for a living that's what I have to do: formulate questions, and I'm con- I don't know, can't even tell you. Over the years, the number of questions that I've had to formulate and the willingness to actually ask those questions, some of them being a little awkward, but some of them being in line with the book. So it it is an interesting thing to help people learn how to do that effectively. Now, you discuss helping someone when they are new, no matter what the situation. Um, So this comes around just helping people in general who might feel awkward, a newcomer being awkward. Um What can people do in the work environment, almost any environment, whether it's a work environment or social environment where somebody's new, to help them?
1: Well, I think you know again it's to recognize that that any new person is going to be feeling these things they're going to be feeling these anxieties they're going to have that reluctance and um, being aware of that and then sort of creating that entry experience such that it reduces some of that stress is key. Yes, you need to. Give them training and orientation, and teach them about the company, and all of that stuff is good. But what you can, what will make them more productive and satisfied, and really feel good about the place, is to the extent that you can address these five things. To the, um, can you set them up with introductions so that not only do they get introduced to the key people, but it's introduced in a way that they feel comfortable approaching people on their own afterwards to um, get to know them. To the extent that you can make them feel you know, get their initial questions answered. Let people know in advance that they're going to be approaching them so that it's less of a cold call and more of a warm call and make it easier so that after, if they've done a few of these, you know, they've gone out and asked their questions and gotten good answers, you know, again, it will make them more, much more confident to do it later. To the extent that you can give them, uh, whether it's whether it's giving them lists and pictures of people in the office, uh, that can help facilitate remembering the names is important. Um, Building relationships. Uh, Lunch is one of those key things at work that often is is forgotten. You know, they they do a lot of things in terms of bringing people on board, but lunch is often the litmus test of one's social acceptance into an organization. So you really want to make sure that your new people get to be part of the lunch crowd or whatever the lunch routines are uh, because that's a great way for them to start building relationships and asking questions in sort of a more informal way. I think all of these kinds of things are important, Again, you want to make sure they have all the right equipment and, they, and you know a computer and desk and all the provisions they need, and they need to understand their job and, and all of the stuff that's associated with the work. But to the extent that you can give and make their entry less stressful, um, they're going to be a lot more productive, a lot more satisfied, and ultimately a lot more loyal.
0: Well, Keith, you've given my listeners uh, just a plethora of things to think about here when being a newcomer, and we're all newcomers, as you said, at at one point or another, whether it's at work or social environment or something like that. Great advice you've had. For all my listeners, uh, we've been on this morning with Keith Rolick, and his book is What to Do When You're New, How to Become Comfortable, Confident, and Successful in New Situations. Keith, where would you like to tell people to go to get more information about you, about the book, Uh, uh, maybe an opportunity for a workshop, a YouTube video, um, social media, any of the kind of things that you're doing to not only promote the book, but more importantly, inform my listeners about some of the techniques and things that they can learn as a result of reading your book?
1: Certainly, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, My book website is whenyournew.com. In in there, there's all kinds of information about the book, a lot of other pieces that I've written associated with this, lots of different blog posts and and such. It also has connections to my LinkedIn account. I do a lot of blogging on LinkedIn. Um, I'm a regular blogger in psychology today, so you can look for me there as well. Uh, And then I do a lot of contributing blogs to places like Fast Company and and, and other kinds of outlets. So those are places as well. Um, The book's available uh, at B- Barnes & Noble stores throughout the country, and in a lot of independent booksellers, it's uh, available online uh, through Amazon, through Barnes & Nobles, in both ebook, paperback, and audiobook form. And currently, the price I think on Amazon was like 11 bucks, so it's a relatively cheap read. A, a lot of my readers say it probably takes two to three hours to go through. It. It's not a hard read, but I think people have found a lot of they've benefited from a lot of good advice there. So those are some places that can be. I, I, um, you know, my email address is at babson.edu, So if people want to contact me directly, I'm happy to do that too. Above all, I wrote this book so that people will, you know, hopefully after reading it, reading it and practicing some of these techniques, just be a little bit more comfortable to put themselves out there because there's so many things that we all want in life that all it takes is an introduction or ask a question or or build a relationship that will make life a whole lot more interesting and fun. So again, well, Keith, I thank, I thanks for being here.
0: Well, thanks for being on. I appreciate you taking the time to inform my listeners again, what to do when you're new uh, with Keith Rollick. Thanks so much, Keith.
1: Thank you very much.